Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner in personalized medicine, developing tailored treatments for cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, in honor of Mother's Day, it's a conversation about breast cancer survivorship with Wendy Chambers. Wendy is a two-time breast cancer survivor, and Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery at the Yale School of Medicine. So, Wendy, tell us the story of how your breast cancer journey started. So start at the beginning. Once upon a time, I was perfectly well, and then? Okay, that's a great place to start. About 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with DCIS stage zero um, on my right breast. So I, How did that start? I mean, did you just go for a mammogram? Is that how I it did. all started? I did. I went for a mammogram. My mother had had breast cancer when she was in her 50s. Um, had a very successful treatment, and it never returned, and she lived into her late 80s. But I was diligent, as are my sisters, about going for mammograms. So I went for a mammogram, and I'd never seen anything before, just some denseness. But it looked as if somebody had thrown coffee grounds on top of my mammogram. And that's when they explained to me that that was what ductal carcinoma in situ could look like. And so that's, in fact, what I had. So so they see these coffee ground-like things right. on your mammogram, and then what happened? They called you back, and they did a biopsy? They called me back, did a biopsy, um, did discover that it was DCIS stage zero. It hadn't moved outside of the ducts, which is great. And then they started to talk to me about a treatment plan. Okay. So, so what did that feel like? I mean, to really kind of put yourself in that scenario. I'm thinking about all of the women and girls and mothers out there, especially now that we're talking about Mother's Day, who may be thinking about, you know, they haven't had a mammogram. Maybe they're scared to get a mammogram. Um, because, you know, the the worst thing about getting a mammogram, aside from the fact that some people think it's a little bit painful uh, or tender, is the news that you could actually have a cancer. Mm -hmm. So what did it feel like when they first saw those calcium spots and then they told you you needed to come back and then they told you you needed a biopsy and then you had to wait for the results? Tell us, like, what was what was going through your head? Were you totally calm during all of that or was there <laughs> some anxiety going on? So it's terrifying. And um, the first time and the second time, which I know we'll talk about, this is really what I find to be the very scariest part. So when you're not sure if you have cancer or not, and it's just people being overcautious and it turns out to be nothing, or if it's really going to be something, that is terrifying because you need to wait, you need to let go of control, and you know, and we're all busy. I mean, I have had a you know a big career at the time. I had children, a husband, two dogs. You know, a life. Life was really busy and wonderful. And you know, I don't think cancer ever happens at a good time, right? So yeah, it doesn't so, make an appointment on your calendar. Exactly, exactly. And so it it's a terrible time because you're really. You really just need to wait, and you don't know what you're waiting for. You're, of course, praying that it's nothing. Um, but in my case, you know, it turned out to be something. 
And then I think, you know, it's still a very difficult time because you don't know, you don't understand the treatments, you need to really learn a lot about them, rely on your doctors to get the right guidance. Right. And then you're making decisions that, you know, you're making decisions between things that you've never thought of in your life. And it's... um, it's really hard to pick the right one, even though, you know, you have the guidance of doctors, but it's scary. So for me, that time between diagnosis and deciding your treatment plan and then getting going was really the very scariest time, yeah. both times for yeah. me. And, and I think that that's true for a lot of women with breast cancer is just that waiting, not knowing thinking about could it be, could it not be. And then you get the diagnosis. The biopsy comes back and they say it's ductal carcinoma in situ. And for a lot of people, when people just say that, um, it sounds like gibberish. Um, And then they're worried about, well, am I supposed to be worried? Like, is this really bad? Is this not really bad? It's worse than not having anything. Uh, Tell me about that and, and how you kind of went through the process of processing that information? So like anything, it's like learning a new language. Um, I didn't know what the acronym DCIS stood for. And if something is stage zero, then how can it be anything? Because zero has no value. And so you, uh, I really tried to, to, you know, think my way through this and muscle my way through it and, and just learn. And, um, and try and embrace, just like if I was in a country, it's like the bus had dropped me off in a new country and I didn't speak the language. Right. And I had to kind of figure it out bit by bit. So I asked a lot of questions. I actually overread, I think, in hindsight, but at the time it seemed to make sense. I Googled everything. I read every clinical trial I could get my hands on because I was really going to take control of of what was happening. Okay, so they did they call you to give you that diagnosis, or uh, and 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 then they set you up to see the surgeon. Is that right? Exactly. They they called me with the diagnosis, and then they set me up with a surgeon um, that I didn't know, obviously, because I'd had no experience before. And this was um, this was when I was living in New Jersey. So I made an appointment, and then I got in very quickly, which was wonderful. And I went to see him to see what the next step was, along with my husband and my then sixth grade daughter. Okay. So tell us what that appointment is like. There you are. You're, you know, this what seemingly was a bombshell had just hit your life. Um, And you were in this topsy-turvy new country, new language, new everything, going to see the surgeon what was that like? And then what happened during that visit? Well, it's so I took a notebook Good so plan. that I could write things down. I went in armed with a whole bunch of questions from research that I had done and things people had told me and things people told me to ask. I had talked to some other people who had gone through different kinds of breast cancer to get their point of view. So my notebook had a whole bunch of questions in it. And I went in so I could write things down because I just knew, you know, with this language being so new to me that I wouldn't remember all my questions and I wouldn't remember what the answers were. It's also why I took people with me, not just because they loved me and this was scary, but so that they could listen and hear and ask questions too. So um, what was it like? It, It actually, for me, was, while still scary, 
um, cancer is a frightening diagnosis. And I actually found it kind of empowering, though, because Mm -hmm. I had some answers on what was next. And and it also provided some personality and size, I guess is the best way to put it, of my cancer. You know, it it wasn't as big, it, just even in terms of, you know, severity as I was worried it would be. So it, it kind of gave it a face, mm-hmm. which was really important to me. And then they had, you know, uh, they had a treatment path that they wanted to talk to me about. And it wasn't just this is what you must do. It was here's here's why we want to do this, a lumpectomy, and here's why we think radiation, and here are the pros and cons of each. So instead of it being, you know, all put on to me, it was more of a guided dialogue, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's right. I think, you know, a few key points that I think a lot of patients can learn uh, from what you've said is the value of taking a notebook and writing down your questions and bringing uh, loved ones or uh, if not loved ones, a second set of ears, a friend, somebody right. um, who who can help you because it, it, it's a lot of information in, in a, a short period of time. And then the the idea that you know, although you're facing this diagnosis, I find a lot of patients actually find that visit really, as you said, empowering in the sense that they can now get a sense of control. Like, I can see this thing, I can feel this thing, I can understand what it is, and I now know how I will take care of it. And Mm -hmm. I'm empowered with all of these options. So then what happened after that? You met with the surgeon. It sounds like you had decided that you were going to do a lumpectomy right. and radiation. Right. And so then what happened? Well, it, it's interesting. And if I could harken back to something you'd said, you'd ask me earlier that I didn't answer, which was um, which was about, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second, but um, which was really, well, I'll move on. So what happened when we decided to do that treatment plan? It made a lot of sense to me, and we just got it scheduled so that we could go ahead. Oh, I remember. Um, In doing all of the research, I also had a mindset as I was approaching this first cancer in that I was going to attack it. I was going to beat it. I was going to control it. I was going to control everything about it. One, it was an inconvenient time, and two, I just really felt that that was the right approach to have. I... I think it's important to share with you, I'm big into pop culture, and I I kind of felt like Linda Hamilton in carrying her sawed-off shotgun in The Terminator, where I was going to (laughs) crush this and beat it and push it back. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. So as I approached this treatment then, that was kind of my mindset, even though I was being empowered and being led by doctors. So the doctors then talked to me actually about a um, clinical trial rather than just regular, if you will, radiation that sped up the number of treatments, cut them in half. Well, given this was so inconvenient and given how I wanted to attack it, I actually decided to do that clinical trial and also thinking that if it worked, then I'm not only helping myself in half the time, but I'm also helping others as well. You know, we talk a lot on the show about clinical trials and the fact that, you know, nationwide, only about 5% of people enroll in clinical trials, even though we know that people who participate in clinical trials tend to do better than people who don't because we're always looking at treatments that are either more effective or shorter in duration or have fewer side effects. 
and this sense of altruism that, you know what, not only can this potentially help me, but help other people. Tell us about your thought process in that going through thinking about whether or not you wanted to participate in a clinical trial. Did you have a sense of, oh, my God, am I going to be a human guinea pig? Like, did that ever go through your mind? Um, it did a little bit, but I think the interesting thing about this particular trial that I decided to participate in is I knew exactly what was going to happen. I I wasn't going to be um, in the sample that thought they might be getting the treatment but didn't get the treatment, the, I don't know, blind, placebo. double blind, yeah. or placebo, whatever the language is. It was twice the radiation in half the time. So I knew exactly what was going to happen. And so I didn't feel quite so much like a guinea pig. Uh, we talked a lot about the side effects and would there be twice the side effects or twice as bad side effects or whatever. And the treatment team that was working on this trial reassured me that that shouldn't be the case. And so I felt that it was, I guess if we call it a risk rather than the regular treatment plan, I felt that the risk was warranted and not that high and avail. And, and so I decided to go for it. You know, as I'd mentioned, my life had been put to the side for a moment, and I really wanted to, and I wanted to power through this. So, it actually selfishly kind of fit better into my schedule to not have to go to radiation for twice as long. So that was another decision too. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true. Uh, a lot of times, clinical trials either fit into people's schedule better. Maybe the side effects are better. Maybe you're getting therapy with an oral pill instead of an IV. And and a lot of trials these days are not versus something that is a black box. Oftentimes, you'll know exactly what arm you're in. And so a lot of patients um, might really want to think about asking about clinical trials. We're going to learn much more about the rest of your story after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about Wendy's experience with breast cancer right after this. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to change how cancer is treated with personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a Medical Minute about genetic testing, which can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers. Interdisciplinary teams include geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together to provide risk assessment and steps to prevent the development of cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Wendy Chambers. We're talking about her experience with breast cancer. And before the break, she was telling us about how about 10 years ago, she was diagnosed with stage zero DCIS, which kind of threw her life into this upheaval. But she was determined to take control of this, have a lumpectomy, enroll in a clinical trial, get her radiation and power through it. So, Wendy, you had the lumpectomy, the radiation, and you never regretted going into that clinical trial. No, not at all. And then what happened? Then my cancer was gone. Did, did they need to give you any other treatment? 
No, they didn't. Um, they offered uh, tamoxifen, an AI, and I opted not to do the tamoxifen after understanding that my percent of reoccurrence for this type of cancer went from, I don't remember the stats exactly, but something like, you know, 4% down to 2%, I think, you know, something like that. And so I, I opted to be finished and not continue with an AI. Okay. So another good point is ask the questions, ask the numbers. How much benefit am I going to get with this treatment? And talk to your doctors about that. Okay. So you were done and you must have felt such a sense of like, relief, uh, hallelujah, a celebration. What was? What did that feel like when you hit the gong the last time in radiation? It was great. I mean, it was great. I, I really felt like, um, like I had done all I could, that I'd been taken really good care of, and that I was finished. Um, my mom had had cancer. I had cancer. Check. I'm done. And now Moving it's time on. for me to get back to my life. Okay. So you get back to your life. But you're still having checkups. Is that right? Absolutely. I went every six months for three years um, at the facility that I was being treated at before when we were still living in New Jersey. And, and then I graduated to once a year. Okay. And so you'd go for your checkups. And how often were you getting your mammograms? I was getting my mammograms every six months. Okay. So you were getting your mammograms every six months. You were getting checkups every six months. And then you graduated to a year. And then what happened? Um, then I, I just kind of forgot about it, which was extraordinary. It was a blip on the radar that I moved past, yeah. and, and almost almost five years went by. Okay. And then? And then I actually um, was—I'd been so diligent. I'd also changed my diet where it made sense. I was exercising more. I've always been active, but really making a concerted effort to try and— make, you know, even better choices. And I was putting lotion on after a shower one night, and I felt something in my left breast. Now, the DCIS had been in my right breast four and three-quarter years earlier. So I felt something in my left breast, actually felt more than one thing. And I had had a mammogram, because I was so good about going, about eight months before, and there had been no signs of anything. Wow. Yeah. So you Boom. feel this. Yep. And you're thinking... No. What is this? Yeah. Could this be? This can't be anything. I just had a mammogram eight months ago. I'm being followed really carefully. I'm eating right. I'm exercising. I'm, you know, praying to whatever entity is out there. Exactly. Um, this is not, I, this cannot be really a lump. No. And I knew. I mean, I knew. How could it be anything but? Because um, it felt differently from anything I'd felt before. And but that wasn't supposed to be what was going to happen. My cancer wasn't supposed to come back. Right. It was supposed to be gone forever. Right. I had willed it to be gone. Exactly. exactly. Except that you now felt this lump. Exactly. So, so, so what was going through your head at that point? Like, were you like, oh, my God, I've got to get in to see a doctor? Or were you in a bit of denial like, this can't be anything. This might be just a cyst. I'm just going to watch it. So How, was... that is an incredibly great question to ask me because that was – the beginning of June, and I had my annual appointment with my surgeon and oncologist um, at the end of June, and I was leaving for a business trip for China the next morning, and then I was doing a family trip with my husband and our wonderful kids in Scandinavia over the course of the next couple weeks, and then, and then coming back and going right into my doctor's appointment. And so I thought, well, 
nothing's going to happen between now and the next two weeks. Right. So I called them and let them know. I made sure everything was scheduled. And they said, you know, we'll see you in two weeks when you're back from this whirlwind tour. Um, so I didn't go in right away, but I went in within a couple weeks. Okay. So you go in. You've now had a fabulous time traveling the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you go in with a bit of trepidation, I can imagine. Absolutely. And I said to the, I said to the, um, the woman who was doing my mammogram, saying, you're going to see something, and I need you to tell me that this is nothing. <laughs> and did she? Uh, she did the, did the mammogram, and she said, I don't think we're going to tell you this is nothing. I think this is something, uh, when I was talking to the radiologist. And I knew. I mean, I absolutely knew. But I didn't know the extent of it, and I didn't know what we were facing yet. But I had a feeling we were about to start this again. Okay. So you have your mammogram, and they see something. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Then I – so, well, um, they suggested I do some additional diagnostic work and that there was really no reason for me to continue keep going back to New Jersey. Just be, You know, they loved having me, but I, I, I should find a place – in Connecticut, we had just moved to Fairfield County. I didn't know anybody. I didn't. Um, I didn't have any doctors. I didn't have a GP or anything. So, what I actually the first thing I did is I Googled radiologists, um, and that actually is how I found the radiology place that is affiliated with Smilo, and that's how my relationship with Smilo really began. But I really was, you know, I Googled it, and that's what came up. Okay. So here you are. You're in New Jersey. You get a mammogram and they see something, but you've moved to Connecticut and they said, you know what, you're going to need treatment. Yep. You'd better find treatment closer to home. Right. So you find a place mm -hmm. on Google mm -hmm. um, in Connecticut. You've never heard of them in your life. Um, and, and so what did you do? You just called them up and said, uh, I need to come in and see you? Yep. And they said, we can get you in next week. And then I burst into tears. And <laughs> so the nice woman said, OK, how about 3 o'clock today? So um, I went in for the mammogram um, and spoke to the radiologist. And she said, you really need to have a biopsy done. And it just so happened that the person that came in to do the biopsies was coming in the next day. So um, so she said, I am getting you on her calendar for tomorrow, so come back. So um, I went back to Fairfield for the, for the biopsy the next day. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Did the biopsy. We got the results um, relatively quickly, I think within 24 hours, because, again, there was a sense of urgency to not only you – know, once the doctors realized what they were working with to get this identified and, and – uh, Keep me moving. Um, so after the biopsy, the um, doctor that did the biopsy called me at about 6 o'clock um, at the end of that day and said, you know, it is testing positive for cancer. And can you see my friend who's a surgeon at Smilo up in New Haven at 9 o'clock tomorrow? And you said... Okay. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, you know, I didn't bother to question why they were moving me so quickly. I was just really grateful yeah. that I was in such good hands. Yeah. And so you drove down to New Haven. Yep. And you met with the surgeon. I did. 
I did, and we and my again my, my husband and my daughter were with me. Um, you know, it is funny when you're going through this. You're you're often the only person in the room not wearing any clothes from the waist <laughs> up. And I did towards the end of my treatment set a rule that nobody gets to come in the room with me unless they take their tops off too. Um, but that yeah, you know, I was joking obviously. But um, but yeah, then I showed up and. Um, you know, found out that everybody, all the professionals thought my cancer was was um, really serious. And they, we talked about what would be next. We made an appointment with an oncologist. Um, we started talking about surgical options with the surgeon, who's the first one I saw. I was given a giant binder that I called my Chemo 101 binder um, that um, had all questions that I might have or many of them that would be answered. And um, I left Smilo with this binder, knowing that I had cancer, and um, again. Yeah, and this time it was not stage zero. No, it wasn't. It was, well, we didn't know at the time before surgery, but they thought it was at least stage two. Um, they found three tumors, not one, in my breast. I thought I'd felt a second one, but there were three, and they were big, and they weren't there a year ago. Um and we went back to those mammograms and things, and they just weren't there. So my cancer was back, and my cancer was back with a vengeance. Or it was a different cancer. I don't know. But it was in the other breast. It but was either in, way. Yeah. It was affecting you. Yeah, either way. It's, you know, so um, that really wasn't supposed to be what was going to happen. But here I am. I'm here again and, you know, at least stage two. And it turned out, I mean, after surgery, um, that it, it was diagnosed as being stage 3A, because of the size of the tumors in my left breast, and there was some nodal involvement as well with my lymph nodes. So before they started with surgery, you had mentioned that you were you had seen a medical oncologist too and had a lot of questions about chemo in this big binder that they gave you. Right. Did they talk to you about getting chemotherapy first, or was that something that they were planning after surgery? Or where, I mean... I'm sure that the C word, aside from the right. C word cancer, the other C word chemo are both the words that yeah. just drive fear into the souls of people. Totally. Well, surgery and radiation were known entities to me, right? Right. And I'd managed to avoid that, you know, scary, terrifying chemo. Um, but this time it was a it was it was staring me in the face, and that was recommended. So to answer your question, the treatment path for me that was recommended was um, mastectomy. We talked about since the great news is there was no cancer in my right breast. Yay! Um, so that one was hopefully one and done. And so we talked about removing one breast. And I had a very serious conversation with the surgeon about doing a double mastectomy. Um, and as I said to her, you know, going down to the studs and starting over again because I had I had had cancer now, you know, a past cancer and a current cancer and. So we talked about then doing a double mastectomy with um, reconstruction. We talked about the different types of reconstruction. I, um, we opted, because I'd had radiation before, not on implants, but on doing the deep flap mm -hmm. reconstruction. And then after we were doing that, I mean, we were talking about all this, my heavens, on the first day and the subsequent days before any of this happened. But we were then following with quickly following up after surgery and reconstruction with chemo. And then radiation was on the docket potentially, but they wanted to wait to see what kind of cancer and the, and the 
extent of it once they got in to do the surgery. And then, in fact, they did recommend radiation post-chemo. So it was surgery and recon. Um, and then chemo, and then radiation. Yeah, and for a deep flap, for for our listeners who might not know what that is, is that's essentially where they take your tummy tissue and they rebuild a breast. So, I mean, the the glass half full side of that story is you get a tummy tuck, but that's um, <laughs> exactly that, that's a big operation. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, and and it's funny because that's the first thing people will say to me. Um, well, it's a, it's a thirteen hour surgery. I was sound asleep. It was more difficult for my family. And for me personally, I greatly appreciate that my breasts are made out of me. Yeah. Um, I didn't really need a tummy tuck, but it's uh, it's an added benefit. I can still rock a bikini, and I'm not embarrassed yeah. by the scar. It's just I earned it. And um, and so it, it's, it's really what worked for me. And now that you had the second cancer, were they thinking about, you know, genetic predispositions? How did that play in? Absolutely. So I I didn't do it until I think I was, you know, I, I had a lot going on. And so I didn't go, I don't think until after I finished chemo, I don't remember exactly when, but I did go see a, what are they called, genetic counselor yeah. or genetic advisor. Yeah. and. I, I was I was worried about me. I was more worried about my daughter. I was worried about my sisters. I was worried about their kids. Yeah. So I um, I did it. I absolutely did it. You know, I put it on the list of things to do. And I am not positive for the BRCA gene, and I was not positive for anything else. And I have um, one uh, one of the other any of the other markers. And one of my sisters. Um, actually also had the test, and she is negative. So, you know, we feel really good about us and about our kids and about, you know, the future of this, of of cancer um, and its prevalence in our family. Wendy Chambers is a two-time breast cancer survivor and a mom. Happy Mother's Day. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.